It's not about controlling the mind with a whip. That's not ultimately the goal. The mind is a, a beautiful tool, a beautiful organ, beautiful muscle in many ways. And what it really simply needs is to be understood and trained. So I, I try to avoid words that imply a struggle, a fight, because ultimately it's all within us. And so you don't want to start one part of you trying to strongly control another part of you or do battle with another part of you because ultimately we're all one. And really what the different parts of us need is the same thing that the different parts of us in the world needs, which is compassion and love and to be seen. So when we talk about controlling the mind, it's not controlling it with a, rip, a whip. It's not sticking it in a vice. It's training it. So for example, you don't want a mind that doesn't take in cues from the world around you. Taking in cues from the world around us is in many cases what keeps us alive. You step off the curb to move across the street. The street was clear. But suddenly out of the blue, out of nowhere, this speeding car comes. Well, if you've controlled your mind so well that it's not bothered by any of the stimuli in the world around us, you'll just keep walking into that speeding car. You've controlled it in such a way that regardless of the horn, regardless of the sight. So that's, that's not what we're looking for. That's not a happy ending to how to train my mind. So really what we're looking to do is train it rather than stifle it. Let it pick up cues from the world around us. Whether it's through our senses, smell, sight, sound, the world is glorious. It's not just a matter of survival from cars. The world is glorious. The smells of flowers, the sights, the ability to look in the eyes of each other. I mean, a sunset is beautiful, but love in someone else's eyes is even more beautiful. So, Picking up cues, being receptive to the world around us, hearing music and allowing it to, to change the frequency of our bodies is beautiful. But what we don't want is to be a slave to that outside. And that's the issue. See, normally for us what happens is the sights, the sounds, the things that other people are saying or doing, we end up becoming literally a slave to that. That's why I say we react most of the time. And that's what training the mind is about, is, you know, take a very simple example. You pick a street of a big city, pick a street of New York City. Now, you walk down this that street, and over the course of a street, chances are you're going to have restaurants, chances are you're going to have a cyber cafe or, you know, some sort of a printing copy, copying shop, maybe 
the streets are going to be full of lots of other people. Maybe there'll be an ATM machine. Maybe there'll be a music store. Who knows? You've got all kinds of different things. None of us can actually absorb all of it. So as it is, we're all seeing the world through a filter anyway. Now imagine you're walking down that street starving. You've just gotten off work. You haven't had anything to eat since breakfast. It's six o'clock in the evening. You're starving. What are you going to notice? The music store? The restaurants. Do I want pizza? Do I want Chinese? Do I want the deli? Oh, up ahead, there's a smell of something wonderful coming from the Indian restaurant, right? That's what you're going to notice. If you are someone who tends to be very driven by sensual desires, what you're going to notice is attractive people on the street. Oh, she's hot. Oh, he's sexy. Oh, you'll notice that. What we see is actually determined by the mind. If you took a hundred people, had them walk down the exact same street, and it was the first time for any of them, so it wasn't that they knew what was on the street, and you asked a hundred of them at the end of the street, what did you see? You're going to get a hundred different answers. Not that they made things up. They're all right. One saw the pizza store. The other saw the beautiful girl. The other saw the ATM. The other saw a dollar bill on the ground. The other one just got a cast off her leg and was just seeing the ground in front to make sure she didn't trip and fall. Somebody else has a picnic later in the day, keeps looking up to make sure it's not going to rain. And so training the mind has to do with what do I want to be absorbing? What do I want to be focused on? And how much of that is in my hands? And so that's what meditation gives us. Meditation is a tool. So when we say focus on the breath, what does that do? It takes the awareness from being in a thousand places and brings it to one. It doesn't have to be the breath. Could be your, a mantra, could be a candle flame. Could be awareness. There's, there's entire schools of meditation that are based only on awareness. So we say, if it itches, just bring the mind back to the breath. But there are schools of meditation that say, if it itches, allow the awareness to be with the itch. Name the itch. Itching, itching, itching. None of them is right. None of them is wrong. None is better or worse. They're all just different ways, different mechanisms to take the mind, which is in a thousand places, which could be our best friend, but ends up tragically being our worst enemy, and helps us get a little bit more familiar with it, helps us train it. Ah, you were in a thousand places, now you're in one. Whether it's my breath, whether it's my mantra, whether it's my itching foot, you're in one place. And from that one place, then we're able to take it deeper. 
then we're able to actually get into a sense of, well, who am I that isn't the mind? If I thought I was my thoughts, and now there's this space between the thoughts, then who am I? And if I am my mind and I am my thoughts, then the minute that this thought ends, who's left to think the next thought? In the space between thoughts, do I disappear? So ultimately what meditation does is it brings us into that awareness. But first we've got to bring the mind to one place. Okay? So you're not going to control it with a whip. You're not going to control it by yelling at it. It's just about training it. Giving it a new way of working. And slowly, 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 it'll happen. It's hard for everybody in the beginning. The nature of the mind is to be all over the place. Bring it in. And slowly, 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 slowly. What you find is that the space between the thoughts grows and grows and grows. And you start to be able to experience more of what it's like between the thoughts. And then what you find when you move into the world is things happen around you. People do things, people say things. But you're no longer reacting because you've cultivated a habit of non-judging, non-analyzing, non-reacting awareness. So even if my awareness is of my itching foot, I'm still not scratching it. So even if that's what I've put my awareness, if I'm doing that type of meditation, I'm still not succumbing to it. There's no meditation I know of that's the scratch your ankle, scratch your head, pick your nose, you know, meditation. It may be aware of the itching foot, aware of the itching back, aware of the itching nose, but we're not giving in to it. It's awareness without reacting. And that cultivate, cultivates an entire new habit for us that stays with us not just in meditation, but in our interactions in the world. Because suddenly, the person in front of me becomes my itching foot. Here they are doing something that's itching me. I want to react. I want to say something. I want to do something. But I know I have a choice because I've cultivated that. It takes a little time, though.